0: I believe in biblical worship. As we've been going through this series, what I believe and why today, um, I want us to share for a few moments about worship and specifically biblical worship. I believe in biblical worship. Several years ago, when we had, within a year after we had moved here, I preached a, a series of lessons entitled The 21st century church. And we emphasized worship during that series as well. We need to remind our children and our grandchildren constantly that we come from a long line of worshipers that goes all the way back to Abel and Seth in Genesis and Moses in Deuteronomy all the way to Jesus and his church in the New Testament. I like this little uh, funny that I read a a while back. One day, I sat down with my daughter and explained with great pride that her grandfather was a preacher, her great-great-grandfather was a preacher, and her great-great-great-grandfather was a preacher. To which she replied, wow, we sure come from a long line of grandfathers. (laughs) True, of course. We come from a long line of worshipers. Even if you're a first-generation Christian, you come from a long line of worshipers. Because the connection that you have is more than just with your physical family. If you have a, a heritage of faith in your own physical family, your blood relatives, what a great and wonderful and tremendous blessing that is. My Church of Christ roots go through my mother, who, after marrying my Air Force dad uh, and living in San Antonio for almost all of my growing up days, with an exceptional trip to Turkey as a kindergartner and Japan as a third grader, we typically went to the Protestant chapel. Until I became old enough to start feeling the peer pressure and noticing that all my friends at that Protestant chapel, when once a month or once a quarter when they would serve communion, I wouldn't take it because my mother had said, no, let's not do that yet. And so I didn't. And uh, finally, the peer pressure was too much for this freshman in high school. And so I told my mom, look, I really want to do that. And she said, well, you need to be baptized first. Her Church of Christ heritage and roots kind of kicking in there. And so I told her, okay, fine, I'll be baptized. I'm not scared of water. I've been swimming all my life. It's great. And she said, well, let's maybe get some more teaching. So ultimately, we went, ended up at the Lackland Terrace Church of Christ on a Sunday afternoon watching some film strips with Ronnie Clayton, the preacher. And that night, I was baptized. My sister was baptized. My father was baptized. My mom was restored. If you have an any kind of physical heritage in God's Word, in people of faith, in the church of Jesus Christ. What a great and wonderful blessing that is. But I'm here to say that even if that's not true with you, even if you are the the first one in your family to really be close to the Lord and active in His church, you come from a long line of worshipers. And it dates back for centuries in the New Testament era. In these last 2,000 or so years, it dates back into the time of the first century church, into the time of Jesus and his disciples, and throughout the pages of the Old Testament. You come from a long line of worshipers. We come from a long line of worshipers. I believe in biblical worship. I believe in biblical worship worship. And yes, that does set it apart. And so this morning, I want us to speak about biblical worship and this long line of worshipers and what that looks like for us today. First of all, let's talk about some distinctions about worship, some general characteristics and distinctions about worship. And Primarily, I want us to think about that concept of direct versus indirect worship, and this is wonderfully communicated in two back-to-back verses in Hebrews chapter 13. Direct versus indirect worship. Direct worship is what we're doing right now as we study together, as we partake of the Lord's Supper as Jay led us, as we offer to God our prayers, our songs of praise. All of these things that we are doing today are direct worship. Indirect worship is the kind of worship that you will offer all the rest of the week as you live a life of faithfulness to God, as our kids say 24-7. I believe Jay, during our contribution time today, said that the reason that we do this is it shouldn't be a, a difficult thing or an unusual thing in our lives because it should be emblematic of the kind of giving that we do all the time for the sake of others. But this is, as he said, with a very specific purpose, to help this body of Jesus Christ. These believers that are part of this church family continue to do so much of the Lord's work that we continue to do even still, even in the midst of a pandemic year. The work of God's people here at West Irwin goes on. And we continue to serve him and and you continue to be a part of that. Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. Verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. Direct worship. You're praising God with your lips. You're praising God with your words. You're offering direct, specific actions to praise and worship the Lord Jesus Christ, just as we have sung about today, just as we have done today. That is direct worship but that's not the only kind of worship verse 16 the very next verse and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices god is pleased that word sacrifice is a worship word it's a word that's used to describe people's worship of god just as the animal sacrifices in the old testament just as the sacrifices that we send up to the lord today Just as that sacrifice of praise is worship in verse 15, the sacrifices of doing good and sharing with others is every bit as much worship. It's a different kind of worship, it's more indirect. It's the worship of a godly life 24 7. Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices. And he continues on and he talks about how this is our spiritual worship. Unlike the Jews where it was on a specific day and, and a specific time and, and there were all kinds of, of laws that talked about who could do that and how to do that. In the New Testament we have that and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. The uniqueness of the worship assembly on Sunday. But for Jesus in the New Testament, he brought to light what the Old Testament prophets such as Micah and Hosea and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos, all the others talked about, that the Jews just never could quite fathom. That how we live each day of our lives is a part of our worship and service to God every bit as much as the time they spent worshiping on the Sabbath and at the festivals. Paul writes to the Colossians and says, everything you say, everything you do is done to honor Jesus Christ. With thanksgiving in your heart, you do it to honor Christ. I am crucified with Christ, that familiar verse in Galatians 2 verse 20. Yet it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Every moment of every day and night is an act of worship before God. It's something that Jesus does because he's living in us. It's something that we do because we are living sacrifices. It's done to honor God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, consistent with the Old Testament, consistent even with the Ten Commandments where four of the ten were about our direct worship, but six of the ten were about our relationships with each other and how honoring God looked as we were around our parents or as we were speaking to one another. And so we can talk about the sacred versus the secular. There was always that distinction in the Old Testament between the sacred and the secular. And what Jesus comes and does is he says, everything Is sacred. Everything is an act of worship before the living God who created you to live, to honor Him every second of every day. And again, it doesn't mean that what we're doing right now isn't unique. It is, and we'll speak of that, but it's just to say that there's no point in our lives when we are free to dishonor God. There's no moment in our lives where it's okay for us to choose our will over God's will. And so from that perspective, that John 3.16 comes into focus. For God so loved the world. For God, his desire, his vision was for all the world to worship him. And that's our goal and our desire and our dream and our vision today as well. How is that accomplished? Well, that's accomplished through his people living out, worshiping God day after day so that others can see it, including this time that we're spending today in direct worship. We have direct versus indirect worship, but there's also private versus corporate worship or communal worship. You see, this isn't hopefully the only time you pray. (laughs) Hopefully this isn't the only time that you study God's word. Hopefully this isn't the only time you give. All of those things are done in our day-to-day lives as well. The difference today, as we're going to see in just a moment, is that we're doing several of those things together. Together, as a body of believers. And that makes this different. Hopefully, every moment of every day, you're either uh, consciously or subconsciously singing that song, Worthy Art Thou, Lord, Worthy Art Thou. It's seen in your speech. It's seen in how you treat your family. It's seen in your integrity on the job or at school. It's seen in all aspects of our lives. Those things you do and how you live are done because of your faith in God. Because of your desire to please him. Everything you say, everything you do, Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 17. It's done to honor God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we have direct and indirect worship. And part of that direct worship is is sometimes when we're on our own, at our home, by ourselves, praying our prayers before you go to sleep, as soon as you wake up, on your lunch break, whenever that is. But then there's also that corporate communal worship that happens uniquely here, when we're gathered together with God's people. And that makes this special. Even if part of the gathering is online and Again, we are so thankful for your presence with us. You're a part of this assembly. And we're here today in person, online. We're here today to honor our God, but we're here to do that together as a body of believers. And so secondly, this morning, I want us to speak about the uniqueness of of the worship assembly. What we're doing today, right now, is unique. It's unique. You can pray anytime. You can study the Bible anytime. You can sing praises to God in the shower. As you're driving, hopefully you still concentrate. Can't text, but you can sing. But when we do it here together as an assembly, it's something special. It's something unique. It's something that doesn't happen at any other time and I think that's what makes this so very special John Ritter was interviewed one time the actor a late actor and um, and he was interviewed he said you know you do all you've done everything you've made movies you've done television drama you've done television comedy you've acted in plays what's your favorite what do you like the best and he said I like being on stage I like being in a in a play with a live audience. Why why do you why is that so special? He says because it's so dynamic that it is a once in forever experience. Even if you're doing the same play at two o'clock and at seven o'clock, the two times are different. The assembly is different. The dynamics that happen during it a lot of it's the same, but it's different. It's unique. And he said in a TV show you can. You decide, well, I flubbed that line, so cut. (laughs) Let's retake. But he said, when you're on stage at a play in a live audience, there's no retakes. And as I read that article, I thought, that's exactly what this is. It is a live, dynamic, once-in-forever experience. And it makes it unique, and it makes it special, and it makes it something that... A faithful Christian should not want to miss that we should give priority to because it's that unique, it's that dynamic, it's that significant, it's that special. I want us to speak about this from the perspective, first of all, of purpose versus focus. Purpose versus focus. The worship assembly is just that, it's an assembly. It's a group of people that have gathered together with a specific purpose in mind. And so I want us to speak about that for just a moment. The worship assembly is just that. It's an assembly. The uniqueness of the worship assembly is that it is the time when the church gathers together to worship God and encourage each other. And we experience that in such a great dynamic way. And so let's talk about the purpose and the focus for a minute. The focus is God. The focus is God. Just as Jay shared as we gathered around the table, the focus is on that father that loved us so much that he gave his one and only son. The focus is on that son, our Lord, our Savior, who gave everything for us. Our focus is God, and that is definitely true. But the purpose is mutual encouragement. I believe this very strongly. Perhaps you've heard me say this before. Perhaps you've been challenged by this a bit and are not sure that you agree with me. And that's great. The focus is absolutely upon God, but the purpose is not worship. The purpose is to worship together. The purpose is mutual encouragement. That's why we're gathered together. And there's a great passage in 1 Corinthians 14 that talks about this. There aren't very many passages of Scripture in the New Testament, surprisingly enough, that are in the context of the Sunday worship assembly. (laughs) Very, very few. This is one of them. And we'll end the message today with another one. But in 1 Corinthians 14, the context is absolutely the worship assembly. And time and time and time again, the purpose is seen to be encouraging of one another. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning at verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Remember, we just finished chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13, about what love looks like. For anyone who speaks in a tongue, verse 2, or a foreign language that is miraculously given, does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So that the church may be edified. And so what does Paul go on to say? He goes on to say that, hey, maybe you've got this incredible miraculous gift that was unique to the first century, I think, to those who had been laid, whose hands had been laid on them by the apostles. Scripture indicates that. And so they had this miraculous language that they had. And what an incredible gift that was. And I'm sure that they would want to share that gift with everyone in the worship assembly. And Paul says, not so fast. Because the worship assembly isn't about you. It's not about you showing off your gift. It's not about you demonstrating to everyone the kind of gift you have. It's about edification and encouragement of the church that's gathered there. And if there's no one that understands your language and can interpret and can let the church know what you're saying, be quiet. Keep it to yourself. Do that at another time. Not in the worship assembly. Why? Because in the worship assembly, it's not about you. It's not about what wonderful gifts you have. As encouraging and inspirational as they might be to you, they don't do anything for the people that don't understand. So keep quiet. Why? Because the purpose of the worship assembly is mutual encouragement and edification. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 14. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Verses 16 through 19. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, Paul says. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Because it doesn't encourage anybody that can't understand it. Verses 22 through 25 of 1 Corinthians 14. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Yes. Why? Because they don't understand it. But if an unbeliever, verse 24, or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, They are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. It's direct worship, but it's direct worship together as a body. And so when you're at home by yourself and you're praying or you're singing or you're studying the Bible, it's all about you and God. But when you're here, it's about each other. It's about encouraging each other. Our purpose is that mutual encouragement and edification And the verses that complete 1 Corinthians 14 bring that out in other areas as well. And we'll look at that passage in Hebrews chapter 10 that talks about not forsaking and and neglecting assembling together, but, but encouraging one another, meeting together, and encouraging one another. And that's what the purpose of the worship assembly is. If it was just about worship and praising God and singing and praying and studying, we could do that individually at home. And there would be less distractions. I could sing the songs I like. I wouldn't have to worry about the ones that don't like my songs. I could study my favorite scriptures. I wouldn't have to worry about your favorite scriptures. I could do what I needed. But when it comes to the church gathering together, it's unique. It's not about me. It's about us. We focus completely on God, absolutely, but our purpose is mutual encouragement. And so as Galen talked in our shepherd's prayer time about our youth minister search process, again, that's a part of the purpose of the church, to encourage one another, to provide services and ministries that will allow us to help each other be faithful. And this worship assembly is exactly that. (laughs) It's exactly that. According to 1 Corinthians 14, according to Hebrews chapter 10, that was their purpose for gathering together, that they might encourage each other to remain faithful to God, to not turn back, to not give up. And as we reach out to our young at heart, our older folks, as we reach out to our children's ministry, to our youth, to all of our families, through this wonderful, varied ministry program we have here at West Irwin, that's the purpose So that we can encourage each other to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If our worship assemblies are not encouraging and edifying, they are not biblical. If they're not encouraging, if they're not helping us, each other, remain faithful to God, they're not biblical. Because the Bible says that's what they're supposed to be. So now a few particulars. Number one, the Lord's Supper. We've participated in that earlier. We were joined by our family that's online. um, And what a great blessing that is. Jesus encouraged that, commanded that. Paul uh, remembered those words that he had been given through special revelation in 1 Corinthians 11. We see examples of the church doing that in Acts 2 and in Acts 20. Acts 20 is another one of those rare looks into the worship assembly. On the first day of the week, we gathered together to break bread. Acts 20 verse 7 says. And I want you to know that today, I believe that somewhere around 250 miles north of where I am, and I don't mean north as in North Pole North, I mean north as in outer space north, there is a man at the International Space Station that is having communion, and is very likely worshiping online. This man is the pilot uh, of the, of the uh, aircraft that flew up there, Victor Glover. He and his wife, Deanna, and their four daughters are members of the Church of Christ. Her father is still an elder at the church where she grew up near San Francisco. They live in the Houston area. They've been worshiping online like a lot of us have. And he is worshiping online today. And I want to read you something from a recent Christian Chronicle article. It says this, Online worship during the COVID-19 pandemic has helped prepare Victor Glover for a long-awaited work trip. <laughs> Where Glover is going 250 miles above Earth to the International Space Station, there is no physical church building. I actually sent up communion cups and a Bible, and we have really good internet Connectivity, said the NASA astronaut. So honestly, I will probably continue in what we've been doing. Virtual service, virtual giving, reading my Bible, and praying. And I don't know if his little communion cup looks like the one that we used just a few moments ago. Maybe, I don't know, can you freeze dry grape juice and crackers? I don't know. But he's doing it up there. Why? Why? Because it's important. Because Scripture tells us we do that every single first day of the week. And we do that to remember Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made for us. And we do that to remind each other that we are to make the same sacrifice. See, there's a horizontal aspect to the Lord's Supper, just as there's a horizontal aspect to the worship assembly. We partake of that Lord's Supper together. It is the church's family meal. And the reason God didn't say, look, I want you to go home, get away from all distractions, block out everybody from your life, just you and Jesus, and partake of the Lord's Supper. If that's what he wanted, that's how he would have done it. But instead, he calls on the family to be together. Just like a family meal has distractions. The kids act up. uh, uh, One of the the members has fallen asleep at the table. I know none of our folks do that, but somebody has fallen asleep at the table. There's somebody that is not saying the right things. All of those things are distractions, but it's a family meal. And you do it together because the purpose is mutual encouragement to remind each other this is what God did. But when Paul talks about discerning the body as you partake of communion, I think he is talking about the body that Jesus gave on the cross, but he is also talking about the body that is gathered together today. That's also a biblical definition of the body of Christ. What a great blessing to be able to be reminded each and every week. And again, just like the worship assembly, everyone is unique and dynamic The communion service is unique and dynamic every time, too. Lots of similarities, I know. But you never know when one of those moments is going to be especially meaningful. Let's talk about a few others briefly. Acapella singing, first of all. Some scripture passages are on your outline, such as in 1 Corinthians 14. That says, sing with the spirit, sing with the understanding. Paul and Silas singing in jail in Acts 16. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Both saying, talking about speaking to one another and teaching one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. James chapter 5 saying, is any of you happy? Let him sing. He doesn't say let him sing well. <laughs> he just says let him sing. And so there's great biblical foundation for acapella singing. Vocal singing without musical accompaniment. That's what the New Testament examples and teaching give us. But let's talk for a moment about the historical record. The historical record is strong. The Roman church didn't begin using instruments until uh, around the 1200s. 11 or 1200 years after the church was established. There wasn't full approval in the Roman Catholic Church of instrumental music in the assembly until the 17th century. Several of of the reformers... In the 15th and 16th centuries, were against using instrumental music in worship. Instruments were not used by most Protestant churches until the 19th century, until the 1800s. Religious groups, there are still others besides just the churches of Christ that reject instruments today, such as the Orthodox Church. And so we have a good biblical and historical foundation for worshiping as we worship today in song and song again you may listen to uh wonderful contemporary christian music outside of this assembly i love it i love it but i think it's out of place here why because there's just not the biblical foundation for that and the historical foundation backs that up as we think about our singing it needs to be balanced there needs to be an emphasis upon mutual encouragement through the message, through the words. Those need to be highlighted, I believe. And so we talk about our different preferences and, and the call is to be unselfish. The call is to ask for others to be helped and encouraged through what we do here and not myself. That's the way of the cross another aspect that i think is a distinctive with churches of christ is male leadership in our worship assembly you'll notice that we have male leadership and that's consistent again with 1st corinthians 14 which is one of those rare passages that's in the context of the worship assembly it's consistent with 1st timothy chapter 2 and also with 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 is an interesting passage because it talks to women about when they're praying and it says to, to wear a veil. And the interesting thing to me is there would not need to be a veil if there were no men present. And so I think 1 Corinthians 11 speaks to that time in the first century Christian's life where there were males and females present and prayer was offered and respect and consideration was certainly called for, but in First Corinthians fourteen the message is is stronger. And it calls on the women to be in submission, in subjection, silent. Not not that you can't sing, not that you can't say amen. <laughs> but that leadership role is is different according to the New Testament teaching. We have solid biblical foundation for our doctrinal practices. We must not be arrogant or condescending about our beliefs and practices, and that is where we have failed at times. Nor should we be ashamed of or embarrassed by our beliefs and practices either. These are complicated issues, and there is disagreement at times among people who have a great respect for Scripture and who genuinely want to be faithful in their service and obedience to God, and I acknowledge that. Our attitude should be one of humility and prayer, of respect and love. Absolutely. Yet we must act on the basis of our conviction, of what the Scriptures teach, and how we are to act, and in this case worship in the assembly, based on the teaching of Scripture. And so we do that humbly. We do that with conviction. We do that unapologetically. But we do that with respect and with love for others. Finally, the importance of biblical worship is this passage that we mentioned in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, I'll read starting in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It is absolutely vital that if you can, you come to church. I understand that we have so many that are worshiping online, and God bless you. And if if you are doing that because of safety concerns and health concerns, you have the 110% support of the leadership of this church family. Absolutely. But if you're not here today for some other reason, And I want you to ask yourself, why? What is that reason? Why am I not gathering with my brothers and sisters? So that I can be encouraged by them and they can be encouraged by me. We look forward to the day when COVID-19 is just a spot in a history book. And the church is able to gather together as a body of believers. With everyone together, We need each other's emotional and spiritual encouragement. In days of pandemic and election, uh, division and furor, but also in the days of the typical challenges of this life. And that's why God called us to do this, to meet together, to worship him every single day of our lives, but to worship him together as a body with the church and the assembly. And so we'll close with these words from the psalmist in Psalm 122, verse 1. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our worship leaders try every way in the world that we can to be unselfish, to make sure this is not about us, to make sure that we are doing things and leading worship in a way that is encouraging to the worshipers gathered. That's our purpose. And so I hope that when you think about going to church, that that's your attitude. I rejoiced. I rejoiced with those who said, we get to go to church today. Our kids feel that way. Tell them they can't come to Bible Hour on Wednesday night and do that football exercise that they're doing. Tell them that they can't go to their Bible class on Sunday and see their friends. I think it should be that way with all of us. We need each other. I've looked into the eyes of some of our members, especially our elderly members who miss so desperately being together. It kills them to not be with their church family. It should kill all of us to not be with our church family. And so we're grateful for the opportunities we have through Facebook Live and online and websites and all of that. But with the psalmist, we say, I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go. Let us go worship with other believers. This morning, if you need to have the encouragement of your church family in following God 24-7, that's why we are here today. Come as we stand, sing our song together. It's our filled with sorrow, but